0: So if your stomach's growling and you've been at the business meeting, then you're like, okay, great. Uh, But it's a great time. Hey, it's just about a month away, Vacation Bible School. And who's excited about that? Yes. A lot of things are in motion and getting prepared. So be praying for that. Also want to mention next Saturday is our men's breakfast. Saturday morning uh, over in the Chapel, 7 a.m., guys. Great opportunity to come together uh, for great food and fellowship. Uh, Fourth, want to mention that uh, next Sunday, July the 2nd, we'll be having our congregational prayer meeting. So plan to join and stay with us uh, for that. And then lastly, if today's uh, your first day or you're a newcomer to Graham Emanuel, we just want to say welcome. You're a very special guest. And we want to invite you to our Welcome Center, which is right across the hallway. Just there, right across the way that says Welcome Center. And uh, love for you to stop by for just a few minutes afterwards. There's some people there that can answer questions you may have, give you some information, and we also have a special gift for you. So please stop on by. Okay, hey, I didn't cover everything, so make sure you check that out, but that's it for now. Let's invite Pastor Stephen up, as he's going to share from the
1: book, The Letter of Colossians. Hey, thank you, Pastor Jay. Good morning, church family. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Well, I am excited about today. Yes, we do have our business meeting, but really, come on, it's a family meeting. It's a congregational meeting. I encourage you guys to stick around for that at 1145 this morning, and we have a great and very difficult but very beautiful passage and topic this morning that we get to see from God's word and most of all that we get to apply to our hearts so let's pray that God will cut to our heart and that he will speak to us by his word which is a double-edged sword so uh, pray with me please Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this room as they seek you this morning, as they call out to you. I don't know what's been going on in their life. I don't know what anxieties or fears or stresses or fights or arguments or hardships they've been enduring, but you know them, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we pray that mercifully by your spirit and and by your word, that you will just break down those walls in our hearts, that you will tear down those idols, that you will use your word to perform surgery on our soul, that we may become more like your son, Jesus Christ, and exemplify him better in our community, but that we may also learn to love you more, Lord, and to enjoy you as our heavenly Father. We pray all this in the name of of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you were to put a Christian next to a Mormon, a Republican, or just a really nice guy or girl, would you be able to see anything that was different about the Christian compared to those other people? What is it that people can see in a Christian that makes it obvious that that person is actually truly a believer? and not just a good person or someone who holds to traditional conservative values. In your life, as you reflect on the communities that you are a part of, whether it's the co-op where you serve or the place where you work or the school that you go to, if we were to secretly call those people and ask them about you what would they say what would be the things that are obvious about you to the communities where you spend your time this morning we need to talk about what it actually looks like to be a christian what is the outward sign of christianity and to do that we're going to have to start in genesis so turn with me to genesis chapter 17. Genesis is known as the book of beginnings. That's actually what the word means in Greek, beginnings. When we think of Genesis, we often think of the beginning of the universe, the beginning of creation, because of chapters 1 through 11. But the Jewish people, when they think of the book of Genesis, and they think about beginnings, they think the beginning of God forming his chosen people, the Israelites, through a man named Abram later to be called Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God gives a promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we see that God again gives a promise to Abraham. But I want you all to turn to Genesis chapter 17. Because these promises that God is giving to Abraham is what's called the Abrahamic covenant. Another way we could call it is the contract between God and Abraham. And this contract that God gave to Abraham involved three things. It involved a promise for land, it involved a promise for blessing, but it also involved a promise of descendants. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 17, looking specifically at verses 9 and 10 We see that God is going to call Abraham, who has already believed in God's promises, who has already been justified by faith in this covenant that God has given to him. God is now going to give Abram a new name, and he's also going to give him an outward sign of this spiritual promise that God had given to him known as the Abrahamic Covenant. And we see what that outward sign of Abraham's status as a chosen person by God is in verses 9 and 10. And God said to Abraham, Genesis 17 verse 9, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. Which is interesting because up to this point, God hasn't given Abraham any conditions that he has to do to do the covenant. It's completely one-sided on God's part. But this is going to be what God tells Abraham he has to do as part of this promise. You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Going on to verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. We can keep going in verse 12. God continues and says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. The visible sign that God wanted to give Abraham To show the spiritual promise that God had given to identify Abraham as God's chosen person and his family as God's chosen people was this outward sign of circumcision. This surgery that was performed on men, specifically on baby boys, on the eighth day. We don't know whether or not this practice was invented specifically for Abraham. We know that other ancient cultures around this time, also would circumcise their babies, including the Egyptians. We have historical records that even the Egyptians circumcised their men, but we don't know whether that was already present when God gave this command to Abraham or whether those other cultures ended up being influenced by the Israelites and Abraham's descendants. But this was the sign that God wanted to give Abraham. It was going to be a sign that would be a reminder to Abraham multiple times every day. It would be a sign that would be known to his wife. It would be a sign that would be known to his children and to the people that would marry his children. Remember, marriage and the giving of people in marriage and procreation was the way that different tribes and different people groups would interact with each other. So for God to give a physical sign to his chosen person that would involve procreating and would involve marriage shows that God wanted to give a sign that would impact the way that they related to other people groups. The point was that this sign of circumcision was meant, and this is going to be our first point, it was meant to identify one as belonging to god when you think of circumcision if you want to help when when you think of circumcision just always think of the word cut that's really what the word means even in the hebrew and the greek it's just the word for for cut almost like a surgical cutting a very intentional uh making of uh, of a cut but the purpose of circumcision was to identify someone As belonging to God. so And this is proven in the fact that in Genesis chapter 17, God gives this sign to Abraham in the same moment when God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. It's no coincidence that the changing of Abraham's name happens at the same time when God gives him this outward sign of circumcision because... God wanted to make sure that this person whom he had spiritually blessed and had spiritually chosen and set apart, he wanted to make sure that there was an outward sign that other people could know that this person and his family were different. And as you reflect on your spiritual life, is it merely a spiritual life? Meaning, is your Christianity merely only something that is private and inward to you and in no way ever exemplifies itself or shows itself in a way that is visible and obvious to those around you? God wants his chosen people to have an outward sign, not in order to earn their salvation— Because if you turn to Genesis 15, and you don't have to turn there now, but if you were to look at Genesis 15, verse 6, you would find that Abraham already believed God's promises, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham's already saved at this point. But circumcision was a sign, it was an outward marker of that salvation, of that identity in Christ. Do you as Christians have an outward life in the places where God puts you, that gives an outward sign of what is true of you inwardly. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. This is a letter written by Paul, actually, to a group of Jewish people in Rome who had actually recently been displaced by the Caesar at that time. Now they're coming back to Rome. They're living in the most pagan city in the world at that time. They're trying to understand what it means to be identified as a person of God, whether they should continue to be circumcised or not. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, Paul talks about Abraham and relates it then to Christianity, relates it to people of the New Testament. This is what Paul had to say about when Abraham was circumcised in Romans 4, verse 11. Paul says that he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Did you catch that last part? The faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised. That mark of circumcision was a seal, and this is an important point, actually. That word seal, it's not referring to the idea of like it's sealed and that it's locked so that you can't lose it. You can't lose your salvation. We, we know that, but we know that because of other passages in scripture. This idea of seal is like that, uh, that Roman uh, insignia, that little logo or marker that would be pushed by the ring into the hot wax, and it would be a symbol identifying a piece of mail or a piece of property as belonging to that Caesar. That's what Paul is referring to when he talks about circumcision. He says, just like a Caesar with a seal or a brand that he would put on something, that circumcision was the brand or the branding that God put to identify his people, yet while they were still uncircumcised. Because look at the next verse, verse 12. Or going on to the second half of verse 11. The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Galatians 3.7 says that all those who are of faith are the true children of Abraham, not merely those who have had this surgery committed on themselves and on their sons. That there's something going on here that is pointing to the fact that God's identity uh, or the branding that he wants to put on people. Yes, there is this circumcision that he would do in the Old Testament, but that it's also possible for God to identify someone as belonging to him, even if they're a Gentile, even if they never had that surgery performed on themselves. And you're probably already thinking this, if the actual physical act of circumcision was what was truly making someone a part of God's family, then why did God choose a surgery that could only be done to boys as both men and women who are all part of God's family if they have faith? This brings us to our second point that this idea of circumcision, yes, it was meant to give an outward sign of of someone's identity as being part of the people of God but that it was only an outward sign of something that was inwardly true. Our second point is this, is that God requires a spiritual circumcision. That there were many Jews during the time of Jesus who were physically circumcised, And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. You are not part of the people of God. John the Baptist would even say, uh, don't, don't put too much stock in the fact that you identify yourselves as a son of Abraham. God could turn those rocks over there into sons of Abraham. Don't put too much stock just on the physical. God actually wants there to be a spiritual circumcision, or remember what that word means. God requires a spiritual cutting. There's a spiritual cutting that God requires. Turn with me again in your Bible. We're doing a lot of Bible turning this morning to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus is a couple of books after Genesis. Three books after Genesis, actually. I'm sorry, two books after Genesis. Leviticus chapter 26 it's called Leviticus because this is the book of the Levites. The Levites were the priests of God's people. They were the ones in charge of uh, the tabernacle, performing the, the sacrifices, the ceremonial duties. So the book of Leviticus is a book of law. And look at what God says in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 41. So that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity. Do you see that word that God uses? Uncircumcised, not referring to their bodies, but referring to their heart. God is talking about his people who have been rebellious against him. And even though they have this physical sign of Abraham, their heart, their inward life still has that unhealthy skin on it as they thought about it. God says that their hearts are still uncircumcised. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. The word Deuteronomy means second law or the second giving of the law. God, through Moses, gave the law the first time in Leviticus, but then after 40 years of wandering as they prepare to enter the promised land, before Moses dies, he repeats, he re-gives the law. And he does it with a reminder of the people's need to actually obey it and to do the law as a form of worship. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Today, most times we... We'll still often circumcise our children, not for spiritual reasons, but for health reasons. We recognize that there are health benefits to performing that surgery of circumcision. They actually recognized that back then as well. The circumcision that was performed, the Jewish people saw it as an actual physical purification. They saw it as making themselves physically clean. And in fact, the Jewish people would actually look down on Gentiles who were not circumcised and would kind of see them as gross, well, we would kind of mock them for their lack of circumcision. One of the best examples of this is David, when he kills Goliath. He goes to bring food to his brothers, and they're all scared of the Philistines. And what does David say? Why are you scared of this guy, this uncircumcised fellow? I mean, that's, the way, that's his response to Goliath. It's a literal giant. And David goes, don't be scared of him. He's not even circumcised. That's the way that the Jewish people thought about that act and about that surgery. They saw it as physical cleanliness. But God is making the point in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that just as there may be something unclean physically over your body, there is also something unclean covering your heart. That when you sin... When you rebel against God, it is a result of a callousness, of a hardness of heart, of an uncircumcised heart. Imagine your sin nature being a tumor, so to speak. That if we were to put you uh, under an x-ray and could look at your physical heart, we could just see that tumor of sin just latched onto your heart. And God says that it needs to be circumcised. There must be surgery on your heart to cut away that sin. These are the points that God is trying to make. Let's turn one more time to Jeremiah. We'll go to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Jeremiah is called one of the major prophets. It's not because he was one of the more important prophets, it's because his book is bigger than the minor prophets. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He's called the weeping prophet because he's weeping and pleading and begging with God's people to repent, to be holy, to obey the Lord, to love the Lord, to not have a hardness of heart, or God is going to punish them severely. And we see Jeremiah even, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, talk about this. 24 in Jeremiah chapter 9, kind of the middle of your Bible. Find Psalms and Proverbs, keep going. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far, go back. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, verse 25, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Referring to Jewish people who, by the way, they put their pride, they put their stock in the fact that they were physically circumcised, especially after the Babylonian exile, especially during the intertestament period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, much more so than the Old Testament ever talks about circumcision, the Pharisees, And the religious leaders of Israel, because they're being conquered by the Greeks and the Romans, they're trying to figure out how can we hold on to our identity as God's people, and they falsely put a false trust and a false confidence in a physical surgery. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet says that God will punish those who are sinful, even those who are circumcised. The point is that we must have an outward sign that we are God's spiritual people, but that that outward sign is not merely a physical surgery. That the kind of cutting that God wants to do on us should result in an outward sign that is outward, that is visible, but goes beyond something that is merely just a part of your flesh. Because that idea of flesh, the body of sin, this physical body that we are born in, it's fallen. Our bodies are cursed in Adam because we're sons of the first Adam. We live in these bodies that are cursed and predisposed to sinfulness in first corinthians chapter 3 verse 3 i think we have a slide that we can throw on the screen showing that paul talks about the flesh paul talks about the weakness of the body look at that top one. 1 corinthians 3 verse 3 for you are still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way when paul writes to the galatians he says who has bewitched you You who begun in the spirit, you're now gratifying gratifying the desires of the flesh. This focus on physical things that the Jewish people were doing, like with their circumcision, is what Paul in Colossians chapter 2 called the elementary principles of the world. These legalistic things physical rituals that you're putting your trust in. Why would you put your trust in what you do to your physical body when your physical body is the very thing that makes you sin to begin with? We are slaves to our flesh. We are born enemies of God because we are born into the bodies that we inherited from Adam. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. One of the most powerful examples of someone wrestling with their slavery to the flesh is Paul in Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Paul says, For while we were living in the flesh, verse 5 of chapter 7, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members or in our body parts to bear fruit for death. It's amazing, even in Christianity, how we try to put our faith in physical things like circumcision, baptism, communion. Fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. What is the thing that you put your trust in saying this is what makes me a Christian that is just outwardly and physical and shallow? I've been going to Graham for 20 years. I was born into a Christian family. I got baptized as a baby. Maybe I was baptized even as a teenager. What are those physical things that you put your trust in? I take communion every month. Well, we can eat that communion, but it just goes in the body and out the body, and it never touches the heart. We can get baptized, we can even be immersed and the water will drip over every part of our body, yet it will never cover the sinful heart that is within us. There has to be something deeper. There has to be surgery that is performed, not just some kind of cream that we cover on top to try to fix the symptoms of the disease. God wants to identify his people by performing spiritual surgery on them. And at the end of Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, look at the dismay that Paul has, that maybe you feel when you try to avoid your sin, when you try to be a good person for God, when you try not to cuss, when you try not to look at porn, when you try to give more or do more, and you fail, and you fail again. Look at what Paul says in verses 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that way? who will deliver me from this body of death that no physical circumcision can fix, that no communion can fix, that no baptism can fix? Who will save me, Paul says, from this body of death? Now go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The third point of the sermon is this. That God provides a spiritual circumcision through Christ's physical death. The surgery on your heart, the sin in your heart that needs to be cut, that needs to be cleaned, that needs to be purified, that spiritual circumcision was fulfilled in Jesus' physical death on the cross. And now let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Where Paul summarizes all these points. Colossians 2, verse 11, another in-him passage where Paul says that in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The death of Christ on the cross is the mark of what makes you a true believer, That is the sign of your identity by being crucified with Christ. That is the means of you being made spiritually clean by being crucified with Christ. It's why our big idea for this morning is that you are sealed, you are marked, and you are cleaned in nothing but Christ alone. By his wounds, we are healed looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's no amount of physical surgery that we could do on our body. There's no amount of cutting on our body that would produce a spiritual change. But the cutting that occurred on Christ's body can produce our spiritual change. Our circumcision, our sign of salvation, is the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection three days later. His death gets to be our death. His righteousness gets to be our righteousness. Which means that every single one of you, as a result of this, must ask yourself whether or not you truly live a life in your secular communities that displays the death of Christ to sin in your life. That's what it means to live by faith, to continually count yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. That is your circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart that sees the physical surgery as occurring on Jesus so that our hearts may be made clean. Let's make sure that when we go out from church this morning that we are showing outwardly what God has done for us inwardly. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a circumcision not made by human hands, but accomplished by the death of your Son Jesus Christ on the cross by his wounds, by his lashes, by his piercings, the work of salvation is produced in us and in such a way that it should result in love and worship and obedience to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor Stephen. We appreciate that. Church, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to continue our time of worship now and song. And what a great truth that God has done all the work in our lives to make us pure before him, wrapped in Christ, in him. together. How good is he? How good is he? Far beyond what eyes could ever see. Yet he stands in front of me. How good is he? He paints a canvas with a million stars. Yet he still holds my heart.
2: All together, our Father Our Father Never
0: did another thing for me, he's all I'll ever need how good is. like for a moment on all of his goodness, the ways of his blessings, his grace, his mercy in your life. How good is he? I he stood with you through the thick and the thin, the difficult. He's always been there with his arms wrapped around you, loving you, pouring out his mercy and his grace. How good is he? How good is he?